Well, good morning to y'all. <clears throat> We're going to be continuing on in the book of Genesis today. And, uh, almost unfortunately, we reached chapter 3. So, anyhow, we'll read the first seven verses of that. So, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And when you find that, would you please stand for reading God's Word? Alright, Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, again, we thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for the blessing to be able to be here this morning together as a, as a family. And Father, um, we pray, as always, for your direction, asking that you have your way here. And Lord, asking that you open up our hearts and minds to your truth. Lord, we want to be changed by it and, and not be hard to it. We want to see ourselves in the mirror of your word. And though the sight is unpleasant, we don't want to walk away and forget what we look like, who we are. We want to see, we want to understand who we are in our state. And we want to understand the greatness of your mercy and grace extended to us in the life, death, resurrection of your Son, Jesus. Lord, grant that we may have a better understanding of these, these things so that our, our appreciation of them, our thanksgiving to you may grow so that we may have a greater vision of who you are and so that we may be compelled to live your mercy, to extend it to others, to display it, to be conduits of your grace. Let it be so, we pray, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Thank you, Joel, and, and thank you, Baze, for the song. Very good. Appreciate that. Probably, probably a safe assumption um, to assume that everybody in this room um, uh, knows the rest of the story. Maybe a safe assumption. Um, if just in case, let me let me say since we're only going halfway through this part of the story this morning, let me just say that there is hope ahead, okay? Because <laughs> this, ha- this part may not look very hopeful. Um, what it will do, I think, 
is highlight the trouble that we're in, highlight our our condition um, as as sinners, um, and that's not a, a that's not a bad thing to be reminded of. I mean, it may be a hard thing to be reminded of, uh, hard to, to swallow, hard to take, but it's good that we're reminded of it because as Christians, because it magnifies the grace of God. In other words, if we're really that bad, the Bible says we are, then for for God to save us, uh, boy, His His mercy must be that great, right? I mean, it must be it it abounds uh, even more than than our sin. So um, I think the end result in seeing how bad we are as Christians, I think the end result is to see that God is truly great. We have a great Savior. Um, you know, you've probably heard it quoted. It is often quoted. Uh, we were just singing his song, too, and I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Amazing Grace. Who wrote it? John Newton. He was also a pastor. And uh, it's, it's often quoted, uh, one, of, one of his sayings when he was on his deathbed was, I know two things. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. And uh, those are two good things to know, <laughs> two important things to know. Well, we, we have to know those. All right, so let's get into the text here, and, and um, we'll, uh, um, well, I won't make any promises, but we might, we might be done here on time this morning. We'll see, because I really just want to focus in on some main things here and then come back, obviously, next week as we finish out the, um, the story here, come back and pick up on, on some of the, uh, the judgment, God's judgment for sin. But to, this morning we're, we're talking about the actual event of the fall. Uh, which I'm calling here the rebellion, okay? Um, I think that's, that's a, a good way. When you're, when you're thinking of, of how to describe sin or how to define sin, I think that's a very helpful uh, and on target. In other words, it's an accurate um, description. It's rebellion. And Lord willing, uh, uh, highlight a couple more things here in a few minutes. But, but that, that's why I'm calling it this, because what is happening here. Um, in Genesis 3, it's, it's, not, it's not immediately evident on the surface, but, but of course we have the rest of the Bible to help us understand these things. But what is happening here is a resistance to the rule of God, right? God, God is king, and we've been trying to, we've, we've been trying to highlight because that as we move through here because we start out in Genesis 1, and there's a heavy focus on God, right? God creator. He created all things. He's the one that brought everything else that is into existence. And nothing exists apart from God. There was nothing um, but God until He created. There, there is no other eternal being. So God created everything. So um, one of the things that we talked about when we were looking at that is that he has ownership rights. He owns everything. He made everything. Everything belongs to him. He owns everything. And so you can just extend that a little bit further. He, he has the right to command then, doesn't he? I mean, if he owns everything, he's in charge of everything. He can do things his way, and he can say, this is what I want and this is what I don't want. He's in charge. He's king. He's creator, right? So what we have here in Genesis 3 is a resistance to his authority, a resistance to his rule. It's a rebellion. So um, let me just give you a couple things to kind of help 
um, set the context of, of where we are. Um, man's condition before the fall, and that, of course, is everything we've been looking at up to this point, um, is that he was in a uh, what's often referred to as a state of innocence. So I, you know, let's just say it this way. Um, he was in a sinless state. So, and hopefully the, the uh, definition that I, the description I just gave will help with, what do you mean by sinless? Well, um, there was no resistance. Up to this point, there was no resistance to God's rule. In fact, let me, let me just take that a, a step further because I think this will... This will help in understanding sin too. Let's 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 think of it in two ways. Um, it, it's rebellion, and another way to, to think of it, and they're, they're, of course they're related, they're they're connected here. But it's idolatry. So when you think about sin, um, those are those are two helpful ways to think of it. It's rebellion, and it's idolatry. So it's a resistance in terms of rebellion. It's it's a resistance to God's rule, right? In terms of idolatry, it is um, setting something in the place of God. God is king, God is creator, God's ruler, he's in charge. And so what we do when we commit idolatry is put something in that place. Or to say it another way, it is to love something more than God. That's, that's idolatry. So sin is rebellion. Sin is idolatry. And up to this point, those things weren't in, didn't exist in human experience. They're not here. So here, you could say this way, rebellion, Adam and Eve rebel against God, against His rule, against His authority. And this happens due to self-love, which is idolatry. I, I keep that in mind because I'm, I'm going to just, just kind of... I think this is a little bit difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. I'm going to try to uh, prove that to you here. Sometimes people think of the first sin as being Eve biting into the fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, you know, God said don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Eve was deceived first, and then... Of course, uh, and then Adam partook of the fruit, so they sinned. They, they, and when the, the moment they bit into that fruit, you know, they sinned. Well, I, what I'm submitting to you is that something happened prior to that. That, you know, them biting into the fruit, actually disobeying God in their action, was preceded, preceded by something going afoul in their heart. And that's where the sin really started. All right? For, as far as human experience, and, that's, and in our own experience, that's where it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we often think of, of actions as being, again, as being sinful, and you know, of course, sometimes actions are inherently wrong actions. But the fact that we would participate in them is because there's already something wrong in our heart, and that's where the sin really uh, dwells, and where it where it is at work. So um, the the problem is not things around us or things that we're exposed to or whatever. The problem is inside of us. All right, so this rebellion happens due to self-love, which is idolatry. And the, the idolatry, of course, is itself sin. And the act of rebellion, which in this case is going to be their disobedience to God, is the fruit 
of the idolatry. All right? So it's the outworking of it. I'm using the word fruit there. That may be confusing since we're talking about the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, so in other words, the, the, the actual act that, that they committed uh, in, of disobedience is, is the outworking of the idolatry in their heart. Because we value self more than we value God, we act against Him. You know, we, we rebel against him, against him and against his authority and against his rule. All right? So, again, just setting the... Con- that's, that's, I'm just saying those things to help us with what sin is. Now, just to set the context a little bit, again, we've got man and woman here made... Uh, God created man, and we know from Genesis 1.27, He created them male and female. And He creates man first, and we've talked quite a bit about that in the last couple of weeks. Um... And uh, as what I tried to demonstrate last week from here and also from other passages, that uh, he, he has assigned certain roles to men and to women, different roles. So, again, just to reiterate, there's an equality, male and female, there's an equality in terms of personhood, dignity, worth. God created, again... Genesis 127, he created them male and female, right, in his own image. So equality in dignity and worth and personhood. But there's difference, distinction in role. And they're created to complement one another or to, to, to use the order here. God creates man and then he saw that it was not good that man should be alone. So God determined to create a helper. So, in terms of role, you have the man, male, in the leadership role. He's created first, and he's given, um, he's commanded to keep the garden. He's given things to do and so forth. And then we saw some of his dominion um, and, and uh, uh, the way in which he is, he rules. Under God's rule, of course, we saw some of that play out as He named all of the animals, right, that were brought before Him. But there was there was no um, complement for man. There's there's no other creature like Him to be His helper, His companion. So God creates woman, and she has the role of helper. And I said last week. In fact, I think our, our main point last week was that. God created woman to complement man. That, that doesn't mean to say good things about him, although that's not a bad idea, but, but uh, I would encourage that. But, um, but that's not what we mean and by that use of the word complement. It's, it's spelled differently. C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T does, does not mean like to, to, to give someone a compliment. What it means is to, to complete or to make something better. So I would say to complete or to improve. So God saw that it was not good that man should be alone, and he created woman as a helper. That is to complete or to improve upon um, what he had already created in man. And they're existing in this, in this state of sinlessness. And God blessed them with all of the abundance of the garden. 
He commanded them to, to eat of all of the tree, all of the trees of the garden, which, you know, from the description we're getting here, it, it was lush. I mean, there was a variety, an abundance, and a, and a variety of trees that God had created bearing fruit. And he said, and, and you know, you bite into some fruit now, and it's delicious, right? So you can imagine how good the stuff probably was before the fall. And he told them, you can have all of it except for one tree. You can, eat all, you can eat of all of the trees of the garden except one. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? So he creates man and woman in his own image and blesses them with the abundance of the garden. And chapter 2, verse 25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, verse 7 is going to pick up on that a little bit. Uh, so let me just say this about it, because um, sometimes you know, we look at that verse, and you know, they were naked and not ashamed. What in the world? Why is, why is that recorded? Why are we told that? And why not? I, I think, again, the idea there is just that um, it's to emphasize the fact that they were, they're, 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 they were not in a sinless condition. There were no barriers. There was, there was uh, harmony. God had created... Uh, all of these things in, 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 perfect, in a perfectly uh, harmonious relationship, including male and female uh, human beings. So there's, there's just no barriers there. Imagine a relationship of perfect harmony with your spouse. And really it goes well beyond that. I mean, there's... There's first of all, there's harmony between God and man. This is, again, we're talking, I'm, I'm setting the context. So we're talking about before the fall. There's this harmony between God and man. And there's this harmony between man and wife, male and female, which they're, they're the only two at this point. But among human beings, the two that there were, harmony. And then there's this harmony between man and create the rest of creation. So just for example, in the, in the animal kingdom, there was, there was no threat to Adam and vice versa. All of that comes later as a result of the fall. So, I mean, Adam doesn't have to worry about, you know, uh, walking up on a rattlesnake and getting bit. Getting eaten by a Siberian tiger or something like that. that was, those kinds of things weren't happening at this point. There's perfect harmony. Everything is good. God creates the world and He saw that it was very good. So I think that that's what's happening in verse 25. It's another way of emphasizing that, particularly between the man and his wife. They were both naked and were not ashamed. They had no reason to be ashamed. No walls, no barriers between the two of them. And no walls, no barriers between them and God. And as I said, that, that'll get, that idea will get picked up in verse 7, but it's, it has radically changed at that point. So that's where we're at. And then temptation comes. Now, let me just say this too. Um, we are not told. This is another one of those things we like to ask about and speculate on. But we're not told where sin originated. Because if, if, if you just start with this story, which the Bible does, by the way, 
But if you just start here, and you might ask the question now, the, the, certain, the serpent is, he's doing something wrong here, evil, sinful. Where did that come from? How did, how did that get in the universe, period? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It's one of those things that, you know, we have to, uh, Moses in Deuteronomy 29:29 says that the hidden things belong to the Lord. So it's just telling us the way it is, and it's not giving us full explanation. What is happening here, what, what this uh, is the origin of, is sin and human experience. This is the first time that sin enters human experience, okay? Um, obviously, the serpent here is already sinful, and or I think actually probably a more accurate way to put it, more correct way to put it would be to say Satan who is manifesting in and through this serpent uh, is already sinful at this point. Satan is already sinful at this point. And he's using this somehow, some way. he's using this animal the serpent. Talking snake. Okay? Um, He's already sinful. Satan. But there is no sin in human experience up to this point. Adam and Eve are without sin. Okay, so, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now the idea of crafty there can just, you know, can be be translated shrewd or something like that. And I don't know, um, I, I don't want to speculate too much here. I just, I guess I'm just saying this to make the point that we don't know for sure. I mean, was it normal for serpents to talk? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like Adam and Eve were shocked <laughs> when the serpent starts speaking to them, uh, which, you know, if it were me and I'm walking along in the woods and a snake starts talking to me, I'm be pretty shocked, you know. It doesn't seem like they're shocked about that. So was it normal for the, for the snake to talk? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. What, what I'm getting at is this. When he says the, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, I'm, I, it may be that, that what Moses is doing here is reflecting on the, the uh, Satan, the one who is influencing the, the serpent uh, or something like that. But at whatever the case is there, <laughs> this temptation is coming through, and it's satanic in nature, and it is coming through a snake, a serpent. And he says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, this is the beginning of the, the temptation. And there's a couple things happening here. He's throwing doubt on God's Word, and he's subverting God's order. So um, this is part of his craftiness that verse 1 is talking about. In other words, he's, 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 got, a, he's got a framework that he operates in. It, it's deceptive. And sometimes it's pretty blatant. In fact, you're going to even see here where he, gets, he starts out somewhat subtle, and then he gets more blatant. But... Um, He's a deceiver. And he has, he has 
certain things that he attacks characteristically and certain ways that he attacks characteristically. And I think one of the things that we can, uh, one of the ways we can benefit here in, in learning how he, how he works here, uh, one reason I think we can benefit from that is because I don't think he's changed his methods. And you might think, well, after all of these thousands of years, surely he's changed his methods. But I, I don't think so. I think he, he comes the same ways. Uh, and by that, I don't mean that he comes in the form of a talking serpent. But I mean, the things that he attacks and then the way, he, the, the avenues through which he approaches are really, really, really the same. So there's a few things here I want to point out in the way that the deceiver works in this, uh, in this temptation. Here, here's the, uh, uh, some, some of his craftiness at work. First of all, he's questioning God's word. You see that right up front. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That one's kind of subtle. Did, did, did God actually say that? And you can throw somebody, a lot of times, you can throw doubt in somebody's mind pretty quick with that kind of thing. You know, the, especially the older I get, the, the harder it is for me to remember exactly you know, actually how something was said or whatever. I used to uh, be really good at that, and, and I'm not so good at that anymore. And if you say to somebody, now, is, is that exactly what he said? or he, Did he actually say that, or was that? You know, and, and a lot of times, I mean, it gets them to thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe he didn't say that, or maybe, maybe somebody else said that. I mean, this one's kind of subtle. Did he actually say that? But, it's, but that's what he's doing intentionally. He's trying to produce doubt. I mean, why aren't you eating of the tree? Why, why don't you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God actually say that you're not supposed to do that? And then secondly, and, and I guess I did these, in reverse, these two in reverse order, because uh, the, the first line there is, He said to the woman. Secondly, He's subverting God's order. He's subverting God's order. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> last week, and I, this is why I spent so much time, a big part of the reason I spent so much time on this last week, God has set things in a certain order. And I won't go back through the whole explanation, so you either got to take my word for it or, or go back and listen to last week's sermon again or whatever. Recall it in your memory bank. But... Um, and, and you find this in the New Testament in places like Ephesians 5 and 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11, uh, for example, Matthew 19, and so on and so on. But God, has, God in creation um, has designed things to function in, in, in order or, you know, like hierarchy. So, for example, I mean, it's real clear, wasn't it, when we were looking at the, the difference in man and all the rest of creation, that God put human beings in charge of the rest of creation. That's part of the, what we call the, the creation order. That's the way God designed things to work. Now, that was damaged by the fall, by, by sin coming into the world, but it's not totally obliterated. Uh, we, we still, uh, by divine um, command, by divine right, you know, extended to us, um, uh, given to us, relegated to us, we have charge of this world. And that's even demonstrated in, in our interactions with, with uh, um, creation. We, we, uh, there's a sense in which we, we master it rather than the other way around. 
And I know, you're, you're probably, you know, some of you are probably thinking, well, you can think of examples, but it seems like creation betters us in some ways, and, but not really. I mean, yeah, if you put me in a, in a cage with a lion and it's just the two of us, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to defer. Uh, I'm going I'm to run up a tree or whatever it is got to do. Uh, I'm not going to take him on single-handedly. But then again, when you think of the fact that we have lions in zoos, Instead of the other way around, I mean, you know, the, you know, it's not a bunch of lions walking each other through, saying, "No, this is a human being in their natural habitat," you know, because human beings have dominion, and we exercise that dominion. So even though it's been damaged by the fall, and that's why lions attack people, um, and snakes bite people, and so forth, um, even though that dominion has been somewhat compromised. It's, it's not totally gone. It's, it's, it's still in operation. So God sets things in a certain order. Now, what does that have to do with Satan's temptation here? Because if he were going to intentionally, uh, um, which obviously he's, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's doing something uh, evil here anyway, so he's not going to do this. But, but if he were going to, to intentionally try to operate according to the order that God had set forth, he would have gone to Adam, the man. What You notice it says God, that the serpent, the serpent said to the woman. And what he's doing there is subverting God's hierarchy, his order. And I, I, I guarantee you it's, it's intentional. It wasn't just that he, you know, he's walking along. They, he was still walking. They were walking at this time. Snakes, that is. So he, he wasn't just that he's walking along and he stumbles upon Eve first and says, oh, you might, I was looking for your husband, but hey, you know, since it's just the two of us, uh, let me ask you this. Now, he, he's going to her for a reason because he's undermining the structure that God has established. The man as the head and the woman as helper. The man as leader, woman as helper in, in submission to the leadership of the man. And Satan is intentionally undermining that. He hasn't changed his ways. That is still a chief way that he manages to wreak havoc in families by subverting the God-ordained structure so, number two, again, subverting God's order. That is, he goes to the woman with his temptation rather than the man. Number three, contradicting God's word. I'm, this, this one's blatant in verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will not surely die. See, because God had told her, you, told uh, Adam and Eve, um, well, actually, Again, I, that goes back to male leadership. Uh, it's a good example of our leadership uh, thing that we're talking about here. God, what we have recorded is God giving these instructions to Adam. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, what S- Satan started out by just questioning, did God actually say, I mean, he's pretty subtle. Now he's blatantly contradicting. Do what God said don't do. You will not surely die. Number four, 
slandering God's character. Slandering God's character. For God knows, this is verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, he questions God's word. He casts doubt upon it. He subverts God's order um, by going to the woman rather than the man. He blatantly contradicts God's word by saying, what God told you will in fact not come to pass. You will not surely die. And then he slanders God's character. He says, look, there's a reason God doesn't want you to eat that fruit, and it's not for your good. It's because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You see, the whole thing is selfishness on God's part. He doesn't want you to be like Him. He's holding out on you. So that's just a few things about the the deceiver here and how he operates. Number two, the rebellion. And And this is just where they actually do what God said don't do. Because rather than submitting to God's instruction, submitting to God's rule and authority, um, they submit to, uh, surrender to the temptation. A couple things I want to point out here under the rebellion as far as, as, far as expl- explaining, you know, what's, what's going on here? Why are they, why are they doing this? So, so two things uh, that, that I want to highlight here that are at work. Uh, first, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm thinking in terms of Adam and Eve, uh, and I'm going to do this in reverse order. Eve first. So we're going to call Eve the unhelpful helper, right? The unhelpful helper. Or you could call her the ambitious helper. That's pretty much an oxymoron, but that's kind of the whole point, isn't it? I mean, it, in other words, that's, that's what happened here. In fact, uh, ambition will kill any helping role. So she's the ambitious helper, the unhelpful helper. So a couple things here. One, um, she does not defer to her husband. The snake approaches her. He said to the woman, did God actually say? She, she had opportunity right there to say, um, talk to him. She doesn't do that. Secondly, she perverts God's word. The snake says, the serpent says to her, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, Assuming Adam communicated what God said to her correctly, um, or maybe assuming she heard it herself straight from God, um, assuming those things, she uh, she gets it wrong here. Um, Kent Hughes, I was, I was looking at some of his comments, and he gives a little what he calls a three-part revisionism here <laughs> that's pretty instructive for all of us when we're handling God's Word. He points out three things that uh, he, he's uh, 
suggesting that she did here. Number one is she minimized the freedom that God had given them. And what he's getting at there is where she says in verse um, 2, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Well, he actually, God actually said, You may eat of all the trees except one. I mean, when you, when you go back and read the command, it was a command actually. That's back in uh, chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And then he goes on to give one exception. So, I mean, when it's, when it's stated there, it, 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 the lavishness of it is highlighted, right? You got the whole garden. I mean, they are blessed abundantly. But she doesn't quite sound that way, the way she says it. So, it seems like she's minimizing the freedom that God had given them. And then secondly, she added to, uh, or she added a strictness to God's Word when she said, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. At least we don't have any record of Him saying, saying that. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Neither shall you touch it. So she added a strictness to God's Word. And then third, um, she softened God's Word regarding the certainty of death. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, God said you will surely die. So those things are instructive, and it seemed to be you know, a good description of what she's doing here, and they're instructive for us in handling God's Word. And, you know, don't minimize the freedom that God has given us. Don't add strictness to God's Word. Don't soften God's Word. Don't soften His warnings. And then lastly, for as far as Eve is concerned, she doubts God's goodness. Now, what's, you know, I'm saying that because she's taking the bait here. The serpent, and, and they both will. Adam will as well. But the serpent is saying, look, God just doesn't want you to be... He knows that if you eat, you're going to be like Him, and he, that's what He doesn't want to happen. So, in, in uh, going along with the temptation here, she is doubting God's goodness. Now, under the rebellion, secondly, um, what about Adam's role in this rebellion? We're going to call him the passive leader. The passive leader. That's another oxymoron, really. Just like the unhelpful helper or the ambitious helper. Helper. Hard to say. Too fast. The ambitious helper. Oxymoron. The passive leader. Oxymoron. Why do I call him the passive leader? Well, let me say this clearly. Because I, because I believe in the structure that I've just presented to you and presented to you last week, that God has, has created man in his own image, meaning male and female, yet with different roles. The man as leader, leadership, man, man or husband having a leadership role, woman or wife having the role of helper, because I believe that to be the biblical view, and I think Scripture bears that out all the way, not through just the Old Testament and New Testament as well, in all of this, even though what we're seeing right up front, because the serpent approaches Eve and, and starts the discussion with her, 
Adam is to be held responsible from the get-go. And when you get to the New Testament, that is exactly what you will find. Go to Romans 6, 5 and 6, for example, and Paul is clear, sin entered. How? How did sin come into the human experience? Through the sin of one man, Adam, he names him. Which, of course, Adam is the name for man. It's the same word, Adam, Hebrew, for man. So, he's in the leadership role here. It's the role God has given him. He's just not taking it. He's not exercising it. Why do I say that? Because he's not speaking up. I said a moment ago that Eve should have deferred to her husband. She should have. But you know, there's something else that should have happened too. Him stepping up and saying, excuse me. You, you got a question? You got a, you, you're calling God's word into question. Um, direct that to me, please, and we'll we'll talk. For a couple of reasons, because he's in the role of leadership, um, and so you know he's, he he holds that responsibility. But also as part of that responsibility to protect his wife, who is being approached by talking snake. <laughs> who's trying to bring doubt into her mind regarding the Word of God and trying to tempt her to do what God said don't do. Adam should have stepped up. And if you look at verse 6, when Eve takes the fruit, verse 6, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. I mean, Moses seems to be letting us know there explicitly that Adam was there. He was right there. So that's that's, that's one reason I say earlier, the snake, the serpent, is intentionally subverting God's order. There, There you have Adam and Eve present, but he goes to Eve. And now you've got, in terms of responsibility of Adam, you've got Adam and Eve present, but Adam's not saying anything. It's like having, in fact, it's a lot like them. It's a, it's a, it's a good metaphor. It's like having a, an intruder in your home, because that is what was going on. An intruder in your home attacking your wife, and he's, and he's just standing back, apparently, watching it happen, taking a passive role. And he was not assigned a passive role by His Creator. Why did He not take charge and resist the serpent? Protecting Himself, His wife, and the garden, and the rest of creation. Listen, the whole creation suffers as a result of the fall. Adam had the responsibility to protect the creation that God had given him dominion over. And he shirked that responsibility. Now, lastly, we had, the, we had the, the temptation and then the rebellion and now the result, and I'm going to be real quick here so we can finish up. And I say result, I'm not getting into the judgments yet. They're coming later, next week, Lord willing. But I'm talking about here as far as, as immediate result. What, what happens right then? 
decisions have consequences. What were the immediate consequences of the man's rebellion, of Adam and Eve's rebellion? What was the effect of it immediately? Well, we go to verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Tried to cover their own sin. Again, Lord willing, we'll, we'll deal with that next week. But for now, their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Why is that important? Because if you go back to 225... Um, the, the way that this perfect harmony between them is expressed is that they were both naked and not ashamed. So the idea in verse 7 is, is that that is now destroyed, that harmony. And there is now reason for shame and guilt. There, there are now barriers, walls, Things that make them want to cover themselves. They didn't have to do that before. I mean, it was just absolutely, you know, they talk about, you know, be open and be authentic with your spouse. I mean, they had that. Complete openness. It's gone. In verse 7. That was an immediate result. Just to, I want to just want to note a couple of things here, and uh, and we'll be dismissed. What is sin? Sin is rebellion. Sin is rejection of God's rule and authority over us. In fact, First John three four says, "Sin is lawlessness." It is, in other words, it's to act as if the law doesn't exist. Right? That's that's sin. It's rebellion. Another way, again, to look at it, like we. We're mentioning here, sin is idolatry. That is, it's our attempt to be our own God. It is to love self more than God. Sin equals self-love greater than love for God. Third, sin is faithlessness. Paul says in Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, uh, what we're seeing with Adam and Eve and what we see in ourselves, unfortunately, what we're seeing with Adam and Eve is sin is refusal to trust God. It's, it's faithlessness. Sin is to doubt God's wisdom. God, out of His own wisdom, says, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you're going to die. Sin is to doubt God's wisdom. And lastly, sin is to doubt God's goodness. Goodness. Lord willing, next week I may try to come back to verse 6. Let me just say this about it now. Notice that the woman took the fruit when, verse 6 says, she saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Two things there. It was a delight to the eyes and a, and a tree to be desired. 
God had given them everything they needed and more. So what she's actually doing here is doubting his goodness in withholding the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In her mind, she saw that's something to be desired, which implies that God is withholding something good from me, which implies that God is not really that good himself. And then further, she saw that it was to be desired to make one wise. You know what they're doing here? Seeking wisdom apart from God's Word. A a thing to be desired to make one wise. You, You know what is a thing to be desired to make one wise? God's Word. That's where the... That's where the wisdom is in God's Word. And, and we, ought to, we ought to have a strong desire for God's Word, and it'll make us wise. So they're looking, I mean, and this is the, the, always the essence of it. They're looking for pleasure and wisdom apart from God's Word. Instead, what they got is death. Now, I said there's good news, and we'll... Lord willing, expound on that next week. Let me just give you the short version here. <laughs> Christ came and lived and died for sinners, rebels. Because you and I are just like Adam and Eve. We, we were, except we were conceived in sin. We were sinners from the get-go. But the good news is Christ lived and died to set us free from sin and its penalty and its power. So there's hope, but we don't want to... Um, downplay the devastation of the fall. Sin has serious consequences. Would you stand, please? Brother Buck, would you mind praying for us? We'll be dismissed.